Hello, welcome to NKF's Kidney Policy Podcast, where we break down the complicated world of kidney care in the U.S. and discuss policy ideas to improve it. This podcast is a project of the National Kidney Foundation, the largest, most comprehensive, and long-standing patient-centric organization dedicated to the awareness, prevention, and treatment of kidney disease in the United States. Welcome back, everyone, for episode two of the Kidney Policy Podcast. I am your host, Lauren Drew, the Director of Congressional Relations here at NKF, and today we are going to dig a little deeper into chronic kidney disease, or CKD. If you're looking for more of an overview of kidney disease in general, please check out our first episode. I am thrilled to be joined on the podcast today by NKF's Chief Scientific Officer, Dr. Carrie Willis, who helped create the current framework for diagnosing and treating kidney disease. She's been with NKF for over 20 years, and she has probably forgotten more about kidneys than most of us will ever learn. Dr. Willis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And we are happy to have you. Dr. Willis, you are considered an expert on CKD. You've written numerous articles, you've been a speaker at many international conferences, and you were part of the team that developed the system for classifying the stages of kidney disease. How would you explain CKD to someone like me who honestly hasn't taken a science class since high school? Well, CKD is a condition characterized by a gradual loss of kidney function over time. Just like many other chronic diseases, it's broken down into progressive stages of severity, with stage one being the earliest or the least severe and usually the easiest to treat, and stage five, commonly called kidney failure or end-stage renal disease, being the most difficult and the most costly. And so what is the patient feeling as this is happening? It's important to remember that during the first three stages of kidney disease, and, and there are five stages altogether, but in stages one, two, and three, for most conditions, the patients feel fine but your kidney function is gradually decreasing and irreversible damage is accumulating. So it's normally not till stage four that patients begin to feel symptoms. Uh, They feel fatigue. They may start developing itching. They have, you know, abnormalities of the regulation of their bone and mineral metabolism. Great. Thank you for explaining that. I can definitely see how having that kind of understanding would help a patient appreciate what's going on inside of them, even if they aren't having external symptoms. Can you talk a little bit more about how this classification system came to be and what its effect has been on the field? This classification system was actually pioneered by the National Kidney Foundation almost 20 years ago. In 2002, we published the first evidence-based clinical practice guideline that defined chronic kidney disease as part of the Kidney Disease Outcomes Quality Initiative, or KDOKI. The KDOKI guidelines, there were 18 in all, uh, call for early identification of chronic kidney disease, set up the staging and classification system, outline best practices for the management and prevention of kidney disease and related conditions, and make recommendations for optimizing renal replacement therapy, also known as dialysis. Since the introduction of the NKFK-DOKI guidelines, 
the mortality rate among end-stage renal disease patients in the United States has dropped by over 30%, and we are really proud of that. And the mortality rate for dialysis patients declined by over 26%. The KDOKI guidelines have really transformed clinical practice, kidney research, and public health priorities all over the world. So it does sound like we've come a long way in our understanding of CKD, but the stats do tell us, you know, 90% of patients with CKD are unaware of their condition. You know, I'm sure that has a lot to do with the fact that they don't have symptoms for uh, the early stages of their disease. So given where we are in CKD, can you talk a little bit about what our biggest challenges and our biggest opportunities are? Well, awareness and early detection is definitely our biggest opportunity. And unfortunately, that's also our biggest challenge. There's a simple, low-cost, widely available blood test that can reliably detect kidney disease. Unfortunately, even at-risk patients don't get tested or aren't diagnosed despite having clinical indicators. So as a result, 90% of patients with chronic kidney disease are unaware they have it, and most won't be diagnosed until their kidneys are close to failing. With early testing, however, patients can access the kidney-specific treatments they need to slow or stop the progression of CKD. While NKF is working with patients and healthcare providers to make sure patients, and especially high-risk patients like those with diabetes and hypertension, are getting screened for CKD, there's no federal initiative to increase public awareness, screening, timely diagnosis, and treatment of kidney disease. So without those things, we're going to continue to see an increasing burden of kidney failure. That would be a fantastic place for policymakers to devote time and resources. Also, while most people understand the threat of kidney failure, they often don't realize the greatly increased risk of premature death posed by earlier stages of kidney disease. Chronic kidney disease is sometimes called a disease multiplier because it exacerbates other conditions like cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Not only does CKD increase your risk for heart disease, it also changes how it's treated. So it's critically important that we identify patients with CKD early. We also need much more research to understand the relationship between CKD and other diseases so that we can develop better, more targeted therapies. So that's interesting. Speaking of therapies, um, I have sometimes heard people say, well, why would we bother testing and diagnosing kidney disease, especially in the early stages? Because there's nothing we can do about it. The patients feel fine. You know, it's, it's not worth it. What would you say to that? Well, that is completely untrue. So historically, the best way to prevent kidney failure was to manage its causes. So to control blood pressure and control diabetes. So there's always been something you could do to prevent kidney failure. But more recently, there have been these new therapies released that work well in delaying CKD progression and that dramatically reduce cardiovascular risk at the same time. So expanding access to those therapies is really essential. We can also improve outcomes by helping patients with kidney failure receive a preemptive transplant. So before they actually reach complete kidney failure, uh, they 
can find a living donor. Or if that's not possible, have a planned start to dialysis rather than an emergency start. So in order to do these things, we have to diagnose them before their kidneys have failed. And we'll delve more into kidney failure, dialysis, transplant um, in upcoming episodes. But for me, the biggest takeaway from what I'm hearing from you is that if we caught CKD early, we can slow or stop the progression to kidney failure. Is that an accurate understanding? Absolutely. That's where we can do the most good. I think that if in some perfect world, 100% of people were diagnosed with kidney disease early, say when they've only lost 20% of kidney function, we could probably reduce the incidence of kidney failure by 90%. So early intervention bends the curve. And even if kidney disease isn't halted completely, in most cases, your kidneys will function well enough to maintain health and eliminate the need for frequent hospitalizations and expensive treatments. Yeah, right. And and we really do need to be making improvements to early detection and early treatment. Because I read um, one study was estimating that we could reach over a million patients in kidney failure by 2030 if we if nothing changes. And we discussed in our first episode, the cost of treating kidney disease could absolutely bankrupt the Medicare trust fund. Treating kidney disease is already costing the federal government $130 billion per year, which is like a quarter of the Medicare budget (laughs) spent on kidney disease. Um, And so it's understood that we need to move care upstream and focus on prevention. But in 2020, I think it was like 0.5% of the annual total cost of care for kidney failure was directed to research at NIH. So we're spending so much on treatment at the late stages and hardly anything on the research that could really be be moving this forward. Yes, investment in kidney disease and especially understanding its natural history and how it interacts with the other conditions that many of these patients have. and also finding better methods to diagnose it early has really lagged. So even as funding for NIH rose 37% between fiscal years 2015 and 2020, kidney research funding only increased 19% in that same time, during which time, by the way, the kidney failure population was rapidly growing. There are still many unanswered questions about who gets kidney disease and why does it progress quickly in some people and not others? And what other treatments can we be creating to slow progression? A lot of unanswered questions that we need increased research funding to support. And then coupled with research is the public awareness and early detection piece. As I said before, our major challenge and opportunity is reaching patients earlier. The CDC has a chronic kidney disease initiative that supports disease surveillance, and it helps raise awareness of CKD and its complications and promotes early diagnosis and treatment. Unfortunately, it's a tiny program currently, and at its current funding level of $2.6 million, the reach and impact of this program is limited, to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. With a significant increase in funding, this program could accelerate and amplify its activities to educate the public about their risk for kidney disease, educate clinical professionals, and spur innovation in diagnosis, in treatment, and in prevention. 
And we have studies, right, that, that show that awareness and early intervention can stem the tide of kidney failure. And I mean, obviously, we, we want to talk about improving patient lives. That's our first priority. But also that early intervention can save a lot of money, uh, especially in terms of how much the federal government spends on incredibly expensive dialysis treatments. So that's why NKF is um, specifically requesting in the federal appropriations process a substantial increase in funding for the National Institutes of Diabetes, Digestive and Kidney Diseases that is greater than or commensurate to the increase to NIH as a whole. And we're also looking for $15 million for the, CK, for the CDC's CKD initiative to really expand the impact and reach of their public awareness initiatives. So we've covered a lot of ground here on understanding CKD and what policymakers could do to improve public awareness and early detection. But before we wrap up, I also wanted to say a word about the impact of COVID-19 on kidney patients and the fact that patients are recovering from COVID-19 only to find out that now they have kidney disease and they didn't before. So acute kidney injury is something that is known to be a side effect of severe COVID-19. And Dr. Willis, could you explain a little bit about what could this mean long term? Are, are we potentially facing a wave of new kidney patients? Well, we still only have preliminary data, obviously, because, you know, how, how the long term effects of COVID in general are just beginning to be understood. But it's really important to recognize that there is a significant connection between kidney disease and COVID. So COVID-19 has wreaked absolute havoc on current kidney patients. Um, they have some of the highest mortality rates of any you know, population. Uh, and it's also caused new kidney damage in patients who recover from COVID. According to one study out of the UK, of COVID patients that were admitted to the ICU, 37% of patients with ESRD died from their infection compared to 21% of patients with healthy kidneys. And there was another study by the VA in St. Louis that indicates that 32% of veterans hospitalized with COVID developed acute kidney injury, and many of those didn't fully recover their kidney function by the time of discharge. So it's essential that patients know their kidney health status so that they can make the right choices to protect their future health. Now, that's just another example of why awareness and early detection are so important. And I think, you know, that's what I'm really taking away from this conversation is that awareness and early detection of chronic kidney disease can save lives and save dollars. But we need to focus on those early stages instead of waiting for patients to end up in kidney failure. Uh, it's bad for the patient. It's bad for the healthcare system as a whole. And we need the federal research funding to, to be doing the work um, that would allow us to focus on early stages instead of waiting so long. Um, so thank you so much, Dr. Willis, for joining me on this episode. And we will definitely have you back on as uh, you have such a depth and breadth of knowledge of all things kidney. Um, and in our next episode, we're going to start talking a little bit more about kidney failure and dialysis specifically. So please plan on joining us for that conversation. This policy podcast is a new adventure for us here at NKF. I hope you're finding it useful. Please let us know what you think by emailing policypodcast at kidney.org. I hope you'll stick around for future episodes and feel free to send us questions you'd like to see us tackle. 
If you're looking for additional information on kidney health and kidney policy, please feel free to check out our website at www.kidney.org. Thanks for listening.